Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we follow our curiosity, diving deep into the familiar and the foreign. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, explore intriguing ideas, and have real conversations with the best guests. Ready for something different? Let's get started. Before we dig into this episode, Walker, I want to wish you and all of our amazing fans out there a very happy holiday. Yes, and a happy new year full of health, happiness, and connection. So Walker, should we tell them now? Sure, let's do it. Well, we have some really exciting news that we will share in the spring of 2024, but we need a little extra time to make it happen. So as of January 6th, we will be producing a brand new episode every two weeks instead of every week, just temporarily to give us a little bit more time for this project. Right. It's going to be great. And we'll be adding a lot of great new content on our ACAST Plus subscription channel too. Right. So with that out of the way, we're going to do something a little different this year in honor of the season walker. Don't tell me you want to go caroling, Harris. No, far from it. But we are going to break out a different old Victorian tradition. Okay, fill me in. We're going to be getting a little Christmas creepy and a little ghosty. Ghosty? Mm -hmm. I don't really connect Christmas and the paranormal, Harris. Perhaps aside from, I suppose, the famous ghosts of Dickens at Christmas Carol. So this is a weird and wonderful angle. Mm -hmm. But actually, telling ghost stories at Christmas was quite the tradition in the 1800s. In fact, in 1891, English humorist and author Jerome K. Jerome, which is quite the (laughs) name, wrote a series of ghost stories that were expressly meant to be read on Christmas Eve. He prefaced the book of short stories by saying, whenever five or six English-speaking people meet round a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Can you imagine? A little different than the Hallmark Christmases of today. Well, that tradition has definitely faded into the mists of time. Mm-hmm. But in fact, telling the spookiest of stories in the depths of winter is actually thought to have roots much farther back with pagans telling each other spine tinglers around the Yule fire. But of course, the Puritans put a stop to those shenanigans in the 1600s. In fact, Oliver Cromwell and his cronies actually cancelled Christmas in 1644 as they were concerned about the not-so-purely Christian roots of some of the holiday festivities. What a party pooper. I know. He was certainly lacking in the Christmas bear, wasn't he? Yeah, I would say. The Georgian period was a little more friendly to Christmas celebrations, but Christmas as we know it didn't really hit full swing until the 19th century. That really doesn't seem that long ago. Not at all. And in fact, Christmas was only formally declared a holiday in the United States in 1870. And get this, not until 1958 in England. Come on, that's totally nuts. Christmas is an institution now. It is its own industry. It sure is, but minus the ghost stories. With the exception of the one you already mentioned, the story that has true staying power, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. So why was this little story so powerful? It still resonates with the people today of the 21st century, doesn't it? Yeah, Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol with the intention of pulling at the heartstrings of people. He wanted to remind them of their moral responsibility to look out for one another. It's important to think of what was actually going on in Victorian England at the time. There was poverty, disease, child labor, poor working conditions— Dickens really was a social commentator of sorts. He chose to shine a light on a lot of these social issues, and he did that with the help of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future in A Christmas Carol. He even prefaced the book by saying, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea, which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with this season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. 
A Christmas Carol was published on the 19th of December, 1843, and within no time at all, it became a Victorian Christmas time best-selling hit. And I just reread it, Walker, and I have to say, it's actually a little spooky. Not like the movie remakes most people today might be familiar with. Oh, really? Remember Scrooge with Bill Murray? Mm-hmm. That was a great telling of the tale. It's a Christmas classic. Or the Muppets. Now that was a good version. Too. It was. And both of them were totally hilarious and much lighter versions than the original. Can I read you just a little bit from the original book? And I just want to see if it raises the hairs on your arms like it did mine. Go for it. Okay. This was when the ghost of Christmas Future had just arrived on the scene. And this was the last ghost to visit Scrooge. So he was becoming a little bit used to these supernatural visitors. Okay, it goes like this. Although well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment as observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud, there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, while he, though he stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. Spooky. I know. That old Ebenezer Scrooge needed a kick in the pants, though, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He was a miserly old sod and needed to change his tune. Good on the ghost to get him to see the light. Yeah, and I think that's why it was so popular, particularly when it was first published. The rich old greedy man had the bejesus scared out of him and was shown the error of his ways. But of course, this wasn't the only ghost story told on Christmas Eve. There were oodles of them. I don't get it, though. Why was telling ghost stories at Christmas such a big deal? Well, the Victorians were obsessed with the supernatural. This was the golden age of belief in everything beyond the veil. Spiritualism, which is that system of believing in communication with the spirits of the dead through mediums, was mainstream and hugely popular. They were obsessed with the dead and even loved picnicking in cemeteries. Mm. Did I ever tell you that I visited Highgate Cemetery in London a few years ago? You do the strangest things, Harris. I've heard about that cemetery, though. (laughs) It has quite the vibe and many celebrity residents, no? Yeah, it does. One of the most famous being Karl Marx. It would have been the perfect playground for the spooky obsessed of the 1800s. It is a crumbling, beautiful, and slightly terrifying place that has given rise to all manner of ghost sightings, even tales of a resident vampire, and more. You could go for a visit on Christmas Eve, Walker. Start a new family tradition. Uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) You could tell some tales in the Circle of Lebanon, which is a particularly eerie circular Gothic set of tombs. Some of the vaults when I went there were cracked open and you could only guess at the contents in the inky blackness beyond. It totally freaked me out. I think I'll pass, Harris. I'm good with eggnog, a cozy blanket, and watching It's a Wonderful Life. Well, if you change your mind, I have a lovely little tale you might read to your loved ones. Have you ever heard the story Smee by A.J. Barrage? No, I've never heard of it. Yeah, it was published almost 100 years ago in 1927, but it still can strike the fear in you. What's it about? Well, it's an unearthly story recounted by a visitor on a dark and wintry Christmas Eve in the British countryside. A game of hide-and-seek is suggested, but this particular young man is hesitant to play. You see, just a few years prior, he had been playing a similar game called Smee in the black and haunted halls of another great house where a young girl had fallen to her death. And let me just say, there were a lot of spectral encounters that would send shivers up your spine. A perfect Christmas Eve read. 
there's nothing like a good story about a haunted house. I have one for you, Harris, from the very heart of Christmas, Germany. You might know it, Frankenstein. What? That's not a haunted house story. No, not the Mary Shelley version. I'm talking about the Frankenstein castle itself. It was built in 948 BC, and it is said to be haunted to this day by the last in the line at the Frankensteins, Conrad Dippel von Frankenstein. He was an alchemist, a grave robber, and a scientist. And what do you think was his passion? Hmm. Experiments on the dead. The townspeople were having none of it, though, and stormed the castle. Conrad spared himself of their wrath and took one of his own poisons and died. It's said that the ghost of Conrad still haunts this castle, especially during Christmas and New Year's. Another family Christmas holiday idea for you, Walker. (laughs) No. Okay, well, this might sound strange to you, but there are holiday travelers out there from all over the world who do seek the haunted, the spooky, and the supernatural at Christmas time. Wow, who knew? I know, right? We thought haunted tourism was limited to October and Halloween, but scores of people flock to haunted sites particularly those that are thought to be more active in December and during the Christmas season. We recently had the opportunity to chat with the Night Watchman Paranormal Investigation Team of Ottawa, Canada, who were able to offer up some insight and experience to those of us who might be hankering after a ghostly gathering this season. Right. That was such a great chat. Mm -hmm. Cheryl and Mark and their team at the Night Watchman perform private and public paranormal investigations in order to learn about, experience, and capture evidence of the paranormal. They have done a lot of work in haunted heritage sites, penitentiaries, and homes across Canada and the United States. Yeah, they've gathered a lot of evidence, some of which I would challenge anyone to explain. Mark says, We've seen so many things that you just wouldn't see. So where would they travel to and investigate if they could? Well, we asked them both that very question. Yeah, I'd like to spend the night at uh, Castle Dracula alone. You're probably the only person on earth who would say that's what they would want to do because you couldn't pay me to do it. (laughs) I I love Dracula growing up. Yeah. Yeah. It would be pretty wild. And I would imagine that there, there's a lot of residual energy in that space. Just stated where they threw them off the site, you know, where people were impaled and left to hang for years. Um, That's got to be horrible. Well, I hope it happens for you, Mark. And what about you, Cheryl? Oh, boy. Um, going back to historical places where I would, I'd like, love to investigate actually is Buckingham Palace. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'll stay overnight there with you. <laughs> good, good. There is a lot of stories of spirits roaming the halls that don't necessarily get told a lot. Well, probably because they, they still have current residents, but yeah, <laughs> they have the history, the, the potential for what type of spirit would still be rolling the halls. I would love to be able to get in there and just see if no, any, anyone wants to interact with me. Cool. I'd be right there with you and Cheryl in Buckingham Palace mm-hmm. there. And in fact, Queen Victoria was the first royal to ever live there. Did you know that, Harris? No. Yeah. So just imagine what has transpired within those walls since. I am afraid to say, Walker, that I don't have much hope that our dream of a Buckingham Palace paranormal party will ever transpire. But there are a lot of opportunities to visit haunted castles. Dracula's included. In fact, Brand Castle in Romania, also known as Dracula's Castle, is open for visitors during the Christmas season. You can even combine a castle tour with some browsing at the Transylvanian Christmas markets. Brand Castle was built in 1322, and though Bram Stoker's Dracula is fictitious, 
there has been a belief in the neighboring villages nearby in the existence of evil spirits called ghosts or sterigoi. These sterigoi lead a normal life during the day, but at night, Walker, during their sleep, their souls leave their bodies, drift around the village, and torment the other sleeping residents. When the sun rises, however, they're powerless. Sound familiar? Too familiar. Yikes. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to stay at Chillingham Castle in Northumberland. It is reputedly quite haunted and hosts regular ghost tours. You can even stay overnight if you dare and try to catch a glimpse of the paranormal. According to their website, Chillingham Castle boasts some of the highest levels of paranormal activity in all of England. With a large collection of specters and apparitions spotted by visitors over the years. The poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote about Chillingham in the 1800s. He said, All houses in which men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide, with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Ooh, I'm in. Sadly, they aren't open at Christmas, Ah. and it is a family home too. Okay. We might have to make that a Halloween visit, Harris. So what do the night watchmen advise if visiting a paranormally active property? Cheryl actually has some very practical wisdom to share based on her experiences. They're just on the other side of a veil. They can see us. We can't see them. And we have to respect the fact that they are someone's mother, father, brother, whatever, and that we just talk to them as if they were still living. Whether you believe in the paranormal or not, respect for others is always the best course of action, isn't it? Absolutely. Mark actually has a funny take on it. He said, I I always said if if I was a ghost, my first day, I'm going to find a paranormal investigator and they say, anybody here like to speak to me? And I'd almost say no. The Night Watchman Paranormal Investigation Team takes their work very seriously. They even hold insurance in the event of mishap and they conduct their investigations with the utmost respect for the living and the dead. So have they done any holiday ghost hunting? Well, they do tend to take a break at this time of year, but they did say that they will be visiting the Diablo Manor in Spencerville, Ontario, which definitely has a macabre haunting atmosphere. Ooh, tell me more. Mm -hmm. The Diablo Manor offers an evening of enchantment, which begins with a tour of the manor and all of its strange and freaky artifacts. There is a delicious meal and then what's described as an intimate Victorian production of mystifying magical wonders ending with a seance. Scott McClelland of The Paranormal Show is behind this masterful production and by all accounts, it's quite an experience. Cheryl and Mark love it. That sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So these two and their team don't always have to experience the real thing to feed their paranormal curiosity, do they? Not at all. And in fact, they approach every investigation in every reportedly haunted site with a healthy dose of skepticism. You have to ask yourself, am I doing this? Am I making the paranormal before you just jump in and say it's paranormal? Because when we have our meters go off and we have a door shut, we're all like excited. But then at the end, me, Dan, Roger, Cheryl are all like, okay, so what shut the door? I wonder what they would make of Willow's Weep. I am still freaked out by that story from our haunted episode this year, Harris. Me too. That is one scary, scary place. I definitely would not be visiting there this Christmas or any time of year, frankly. But I would like to visit the Hofoy House. Apparently, it is one of the most notoriously haunted houses in all of Iceland. Why there? Well, Iceland's like another world. You can just imagine spirits, monsters, and ghouls lurking in the land. It's a land of elves and trolls. It's beautiful, but elemental and fierce. I remember when I was once there, we took a wrong turn and pulled over to check our location. 
And then when we looked away from our GPS, we realized we'd pulled alongside these larger-than-life wooden statues of a man and a woman, and they were creepy, Walker. Mm. I can't remember what the folklore was about their presence there, but it totally was spooky, very dark, and terrifying. So we hightailed it out of there. I think I blocked the whole thing out. (laughs) So you want to go back though. (laughs) What is it about the Hawthorne House then? Well, it's actually featured in Cold War history as Hmm. the meeting place of Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev. It was an instrumental moment when they met there leading to the end of the Cold War, but now it's a reception house for the city of Reykjavik. Its earliest occupant, judge and poet Einar Benedictson, claimed it was haunted by the ghost of a young woman, Solborg John's daughter, who poisoned herself after Einar's verdict on a notorious assault case. She would appear to him at night, pleading and crying. Now known as the White Lady, she has been seen regularly since, even once by a British ambassador who resided there in 1952. He was particularly freaked out by what he described as bumps in the night and demanded that Britain sell the house. And since then... No one's lived there. So poor Solberg is all alone. This reminds me of Vorgort Slot or Vorgord Castle in Denmark. Apparently, Ingeborg Skeel, who acquired the castle in 1578, drowned its architect in the moat so that he could never design another building as beautiful as Vorgord. Wow. People today still report seeing Skeel's tormented ghost wandering through the castle at night dressed in white. Another white lady, Harris. You can tour this castle at Christmas, wander the rooms, and shop, drink, and eat your day away. That sounds about right for this time of year, Walker. But I wonder why these spirits hang around for so long. I mean, 500 years? That's a long time to be wandering around half naked in the dark. It is. Mark has a theory on this, as they focus a lot of their work on historical sites. If somebody really dedicated their life to a place, they may not want to leave it. Yeah, that all makes perfect sense to me. They've seen a lot of paranormal activity and not just at heritage homes and penitentiaries. Both Mark and Cheryl have had their own paranormal experiences in their homes too. Right, Cheryl's own house was haunted. She describes it to us. Well, I lived in a house a number of years ago um, with my kids. And there were so many different things that that happened in that house where one night in particular, my bedroom door slammed in my face. Um, my kids would tell me about the, the man uh, with the dark hat in the basement. Ugh. My sisters would come over and spend the night and they would suddenly hear uh, a voice of a man and a woman above the bed. And they're above running- the bed that they were in. Yeah. That would just, I would be out of there so fast. I can't even tell you. Oh, exactly. But we knew that there was a lot of paranormal activity in that house because it was all over the house. And, you know, my, my kids were very open to it. So they would constantly let me know that there was something, oh, they wouldn't go, they wouldn't go into a certain room for some reason. And then I'd find out that, well, no, cause there's, there's somebody back there. Yeah. And how did that make you feel living there, Cheryl? Were like, were you scared? I was more scared that my, my kids were going to be okay. Right. Nothing was going to attach or harm them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was, there was a lot of spouting at the 23rd Psalm that my grandmother taught me when I was a kid. Or just, and just telling spirit, if you're here to harm me or my kids, you can go now. Yeah, time, time to hit the road. Yes. Yeah. No, thanks. I don't like this man in the dark hat. This is a very common sighting, though, thought to be associated with sleep paralysis. 
But there are so many reports of seeing what people describe as a shadowy male figure wearing a fedora-like hat in all manner of contexts, even in daylight. He's not thought to be a good guy walker. I can imagine not. No. I would not be happy seeing him, even if he came decked out in tinsel and sleigh bells. <laughs> I know, me <laughs> either. But you know, Cheryl wasn't afraid, and nor is she in any of the investigations she goes on, no matter where this team finds themselves in the world. Their goal is always the same. She says, I want to connect with spirit by making them feel comfortable that I'm doing something that they can re resonate with. Getting that kind of opportunity to you know, potentially experience something beyond Oh, I'm I'm definitely 100% there. Honestly, better them than me. If our listeners want to hear the full interview with Cheryl and Mark of the Night Watchman Paranormal Investigation Team, we will have it up on our paid channel soon. I have to say that I've always had mixed feelings about this time of year, though, Harris. I love being cozy inside with some jazz on the radio and tea in my hand. But there's also a haunting bleakness about this season. It's just so dark. It's no wonder that so many horrific, terrible tales are told in a wintry setting. I agree. Rarely at the cottage and only in winter, the local wolf pack starts to howl at night. It's like being transported into a primeval world, one in which you're the prey and you can't see who's hunting you. And it sends chills up the spine, Walker, I'm telling you. But despite having real dangers lurking in the forest, people have invented all manner of supernatural spirits and monsters that live and lurk in wintry landscapes. Right. The most well-known is probably the Krampus. Mm. The Krampus is a horned half-goat, half-demon monster who, during the Christmas season, terrorizes children who have misbehaved. Apparently, he is Santa's assistant visiting kitties together. Old St. Nick rewards the good kids with gifts such as oranges, dried fruit, walnuts, and chocolate. While the kids on the naughty list have to deal with Krampus's punishment. Which is? He beats them with sticks. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Now that's scaring your kids into good behavior, isn't it? Did I ever tell you that when my eldest son was little, he would whisper, sorry, Santa, every time he did anything offside? I know, it's kind of sad. He took the naughty and nice adjudication extremely seriously. That is adorable. I know. <laughs> Less adorable, though, is the Nukalavi. This is a winter monster from the Orkney Islands, which is also believed to be a demon. It is trapped in the sea for most of the year, but in the winter... It is freed from the waves and then watch out. It looks like a man on horseback, but the arms are so long they drag on the ground. The horse's head has only one eye and a gaping mouth. But the worst part is that it has no skin. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yep, no skin. Ew, uh... It's all muscle in sinew and apparently its breath is so bad that it wilts crops, kills livestock, and will make you sick. That is really gross. <laughs> so I see this social purpose, albeit really nasty, behind Krampus, but why do we need a knuckle Well, I think it was invented to explain away sickness, maybe, and plagues on the land and livestock. Okay, okay. So do you have any other of these wintry lovelies up your sleeve, Walker, that you want to share? Mm, I was actually just thinking of that Netflix series, The Terror. Have you seen it, Harris? Mm -hmm, I have. The show is based on the 2007 novel by American author Dan Simmons. It is a fictionalized account of Captain Sir John Franklin's lost expedition on the HMS Airbus and HMS Terror to the Arctic in 1845 to 1848 to locate the Northwest Passage. In the novel and the show, Franklin and his crew are plagued by starvation and illness and forced to contend with mutiny and cannibalism. But the twist? 
They are stalked across the bleak Arctic landscape by an elusive and terrible monster. Yeah, I'm watching it now and it is super spooky. I can't imagine how terrified those people were in real life to be trapped in the ice without any idea if they were going to survive or not. But it would be doubly scary to have all that going on and then a wicked monster lurking nearby. The other wintry beasties that always freaked me out were the White Walkers in the Game of Thrones. I didn't watch that series, believe it or not. I know the whole world did. What were the White Walkers? Okay, so they were these enormous icy humanoid giants that murdered everything in their path and then transformed their dead into zombie killers. And they lived beyond the wall in a wasteland of permanent winter. I wonder why there's so many monsters that dwell in the North. There are also quite a few examples of Northern Indigenous legend and lore. Take, for example, the Kalapalak. This is a mythical creature who inhabits the freezing tundra of Alaska, Canada, and Greenland. These sea-dwelling creatures are typically described as half-human sea monsters with elongated fingernails and green, slimy skin. Nice. The Kalapalak were known to lure unsuspecting Inuit children into its icy lair underneath the water. The Kalapalak stole these little kitties' lives to keep themselves young. But we have to remember that there were also beautiful tales of wintry spirits, too. In Finland, many Christmas ghost stories include the Northern Lights, or as they call them, the Raventulit or Foxfires. Mystical foxes that sweep their tails across the snow, creating sparks that light up the sky. Isn't that a gorgeous tale, Harris? It is. I much prefer those fox fires to the <laughs> scary, wintry sea spirits walker. Okay, Harris. Well, you will like this one then, too. In Russia, it is Dead Moros, which means Grandfather Frost, who makes his rounds to the children every New Year's Eve. He's accompanied by the gentle and beautiful Snegorochka, snow maiden who showers the children with gifts. Some legends say that Snegorochka is the daughter of of Grandfather Frost and the Snow Queen, but other more contemporary sources say that she was a snow sculpture who was brought to life by Grandfather Frost. Like Frosty the Snowman. Exactly. It's a lovely bit of folklore that is still cherished today. And then, of course, there is Princess Elsa of Arendelle Mm. with her magical powers of ice and snow from Disney's smash hit Frozen. Do you know that it grossed over $1.3 billion at the box office? I loved that movie. I have a stuffed Olaf the Snowman and that reindeer. What was his name? Sven. Oh, right. He was hilarious. Okay, I'm having a flashback, Harris. Do you remember the Wonder Twins from the 70s? Yes, they were part of the Super Friends comic crew. They were the twins with magic powers and Zan could take the form of anything water-related and he was always transforming himself into ice. Exactly. Yeah. Shape of an eagle, form of ice. I always felt that both of them should have pushed the boundaries a bit more with their powers, though. I know, (laughs) right? I remember really wanting Wonder Twins underoos for Christmas. (laughs) Do you remember those Super Friends underpants? I do. Did you ever get them? (laughs) Sadly, no. But I digress. Have we wandered a bit too far away with the ghosts of Christmas past, Walker? I fear we have, Harris. So let's circle back to Dickens' Christmas Carol as we are now enjoying the eve of Christmas Eve and leave us on a happy note. In the words of the reformed Scrooge, after several terrifying ghostly visitations all ended well, he said, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, you would be a real gem if you would rate and review our show. It helps us to grow and expand our reach. You can also subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. Find us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker or visit us at www.athomeandabroadpodcast.com. 
We have great merch, just saying. And of course, we would love to hear from you. And for you truly dedicated fans who have listened all the way through to the end of this episode, we offer exclusive interviews, outtakes, challenges, and more on our paid channel. Not even the cost of a latte once a month, depending on where you buy your coffee. 